You are listening to a sermon from MCA Church. To learn more about our community, head online to mcachurch.ca. Thanks. This morning we've been singing about God's goodness. I mean, maybe when you came in this morning, you woke up, you looked outside, and you stepped into the warmth of the sun, and you thought, man, what a day. Today is grace. Our every breath is grace. And God's goodness meets us most fully, not simply in the sun or the air that we breathe, but in his son, Jesus Christ. Because he didn't leave us in darkness. He didn't leave us destined to a death that separates us from him forever. But through the cross, Jesus made a way for us to be forgiven of our sin and reconciled to the God who made us. It's all grace. And it's a delight to sing the story, but not simply sing it, step into the reality of what God has done. It's what we're here for. It's about Jesus. And so we continue to worship as we sit under his word this morning. Thanks for leading us, worship team. I invite you to have a seat. Uh, We've been preaching through uh, a sermon series in the book of Galatians. Uh, And I'm going to continue, you know, in the book of Galatians, for those of you maybe who who are new or joining us, uh, maybe you're joining us online, uh, we've been preaching through a series on the book of Galatians. And in the book of Galatians, the Apostle Paul uh, is dealing with some significant baggage that had the, the, the church had picked up uh, along the way in, in, in their short amount of time of being the church. Uh, and so I want to pick up where uh, Murray Dirksen left off a few weeks ago, uh, and I'm going to read Galatians chapter 5, verses 13, uh, going all the way to verse 25, or sorry, to 26. Galatians 5, uh, 13 to 26, it's in the, in the Pew Bible in front of you. I invite you to turn there, or maybe you have your device, you can, uh, you can fire that up. Galatians 5, 13 to 26. Hear the word of the Lord. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit... You're not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, 
peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. This is the word of the Lord. (laughs) Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Jesus, uh, this morning... I know you have something to say to your people. (laughs) You always do. Your word is life. It's like water poured out in the desert. It's it's like oxygen in the lungs, and we need your word this morning. (laughs) Jesus, I know you want to say something to your people, (laughs) but I don't know what that is. (laughs) I don't presume to know what you have to say to each and every heart. And so take these words that are trying to be faithful to you and give them life and make us the church in every sense of the word. So by your spirit, Lord, lead us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. I don't know if you can read it. It says, we're almost free, everyone. I just felt the first drop of rain as the convicts try and dig their way out and they're just, they misplaced the landing. It's in the middle of the ocean. (laughs) You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. (laughs) Galatians 5.13. Free. Freedom. It is a buzzword these days and, and it can have different meanings when attached to various different images. Right, the, the word freedom attached to a cartoon of a prison break, it means something. The word freedom attached to William Wallace's face spoken with a Scottish accent smeared in, in blue paint riding on horseback, freedom, it means something a little bit different. And maybe you're too young, you don't, you don't get that uh, pop culture reference, but I suspect many of you do. Freedom. Or the word freedom, painted on the side of a truck next to a Canadian flag. It means something different altogether. Today we talk about free trade and about a free economy. We talk about free speech, freedom of expression, freedom of worship, freedom of choice. And the, the word freedom, it covers an awful lot of ground in our, in our world, and it can mean a variety of different things in a variety of different situations. And today, our text deals with, mark this, the most important freedom in the life of a Christian. We're told at the outset in in verse 13 that God has called each and every one of us into this particular freedom. It is a God-ordained freedom, which means that the freedom that I want to talk about this morning, that the text talks about, it determines all the other kinds of freedom. 
that we might pursue or chase after or talk about. This God-given freedom shapes how we are to live with all other freedoms that we enjoy and that we work towards. And this morning, I want to help us understand a bit more about this paramount freedom, our Christian freedom. There are five things that I want to say about it, and I'll get to that. Now, the the topic of freedom, it it arises in the letter to the Galatians because up to this point, if, if you've been tracking along, Paul the Apostle has made a big deal about how formerly people were held captive by the Old Testament law. They were slaves to the Old Testament law. The law, it it dictated how you could live a life that honored God. It was like this map, if you remember the analogy. It's like a map showing God's people the way to live. And the problem was that the law only served to show how they stepped off the map. It, It served to show all the missteps how often people failed to live into God's goodness and his way, right? The law was, in effect, powerless. It was powerless to actually help someone live God's, as God's person in the world. It had no power. It simply was, uh, in some ways, a, a force that they were chained to. And so Paul explains that Jesus has come to forgive us of all of our missteps on the map. He comes to forgive us of all the times we were out of sync with his way. And that Jesus comes not only to forgive us, but to fill us with his promised Holy Spirit. Who is God's empowering presence who lives in us to empower us? to actually help us live the life that God designed us to live. And now, all of this, in some ways, is is not new information for for those of us who have been walking through this book in Galatians or maybe who have been following Jesus for a long time. This isn't a new idea. But for the Jewish Galatian Christians, this would have been a radically new idea. You see, for centuries, following the law was all that they knew. It's all they knew. But Paul explains, because of Christ, because of what Jesus did on the cross, we are no longer bound to follow the law. What does that mean? That you don't need to follow a set of religious rules and customs in order to earn God's approval and his acceptance. Paul says the map that you've been following for all these years, it's no longer necessary because of what Jesus has done. And now, this is the beginning of our Christian freedom. Jesus and what he did on the cross is the source of our Christian freedom. That's the first thing I want you to remember. Jesus is the source of our freedom. He frees us from our past sins. He forgives us. He frees you from having to perform an endless cycle of religious rituals as an attempt to to gain his approval or his favor. He frees you from a crippling anxiety of wondering if you measure up in God's eyes. 
He frees us from it. He frees us from the finality of death, an eternal separation from the God who made us. He frees us from it. God has called you into this Christian freedom. And it's all grace. It's a gift of God. It is His gift to us, to the world. And so God's people respond. (laughs) Sweet freedom. Finally now I get to do whatever I want. Is that how we respond? Is that what freedom really is? Being able to do whatever we want? Is freedom having absolute autonomy to make whatever choice we want? Is that freedom? Is that what freedom looks like? As Christians, are we free from religious rules and obligations? Being free from that, does that mean that we can do whatever we want? Well, of course not. Verse 13 again, hear it afresh. You, my brothers and sisters, you were called to be free, but don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. See, Paul here is addressing the the obvious question that arises. If we don't need to live by the law, are we now free to live however we want? And the answer simply is no. That's not the shape of our Christian freedom in the world. True freedom isn't living however we want. That's the second thing I want you to remember. True freedom isn't living however we want. Paul calls that way of life living by the flesh. He uses a technical term here, the flesh. He says, don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Now, the word flesh here, it it can be very misleading uh, because it doesn't refer to our skin. It doesn't refer to our human flesh. It's a word that Paul is using to describe everything that we do as human beings that stand in opposition to God and his goodness. Look at how it's described in verse 17. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit. And the spirit, what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with one another so that you are not to do whatever you want. Flesh here, it's a metaphor. A metaphor for all those things that we do that stand in opposition to God and his goodness. In verse 19, it tells us that the acts of the flesh are obvious, right? We know the acts of the flesh are obvious. It says this. Look at verse 19. And the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery. Sexual immorality, sexual immorality, sexual immorality, sexual immorality, and orgies and the like. Isn't that what it says? (laughs) I mean, it's obvious. Or at least that's what we think (laughs) It's not what it says, right? When we hear sins of the flesh, that's what we think, but that's not what it says. 
We need to get this right if we are to hear all that Paul is saying to us in this text. Mark this. The obvious acts of the flesh aren't simply sins connected to our skin. For Paul, there are other obvious acts of the flesh. In fact, he lists four different categories. The first category is pertaining to sex, right? Three things are mentioned, as you can see in the text. That's the first category, pertaining to sex. Second, the second category pertains to worship, right? Talking about idolatry, witchcraft. Two things are mentioned there. The third category are breakdowns in relationships, <laughs> Shall we count them? There are eight. Eight things mentioned in breakdowns in relationships. Which, interestingly enough, if you look at verse 15 in the text, Paul talks about the community of faith biting and devouring each other. Uh, what do you think Paul really has in mind here? And the fourth category he mentions is excesses. Two excesses are mentioned. And then he adds, uh, and the like, <laughs> to mean that there's a lot more in this list. When Paul uses the word flesh, he isn't simply talking about things we do with our skin. He's speaking a, about a life that is self-serving, that stands in opposition to the Spirit of God, that acts contrary to to the love and the goodness of God. And the point is, flesh, it, it refers to our, our human tendency to follow our self-serving desires rather than God's desires. And we do that in, in a myriad of different places in our life. And one of the key places is in our relationships with other people. New Testament scholar Gordon Fee, he describes flesh as, he describes it this way. It's really helpful. He says it's a life turned in on itself. It is a life that is self-serving. It is self-seeking. It is a life that makes decisions for the self, separate from God and his spirit. To live by the flesh is to live a life center, a self-centered life that acts independently of God and His ways. And here's the thing. A life that is turned in on itself, a life that, that lives independent of God, it causes harm. It's damaging. Not only to ourselves, but also to other people. It's much like a black hole in outer space, right? For, for those of you who, uh, who, who, who like to look up into the heavens and, uh, and know things about astronomy, a black hole is, is a place in outer space where the inward force of gravity is so strong that nothing can escape from it. The self-centered force of a black hole is so strong that everything around it is pulled in and it is trapped. If we order our lives around self-serving priorities, we may feel a sense of freedom, that we can do what we want, but we really become a harmful force in the world. For instance, if a spouse is unhappy in marriage, 
and they become unfaithful in one way, shape, or form. In order to fulfill that void, they cause immense damage. Or self-gratification through pornography. It, it turns God's image bearers into impersonal objects that are used and then discarded. But not only that, in turn, it turns the heart's capacity for intimacy and it, it erodes it. Or what if we hold on to hate or unforgiveness? Maybe someone has, has harmed us in some way and we're unforgiving. It's, it's a way of us taking control of li living a self-serving life. And that hate and unforgiveness toward another person, what does it do? <laughs> it is the seed of war. It erodes the heart's capacity to love. Or factions and gossip. What do they do in, in a church community? What do they do in our world? They divide. They divide the very things that God intends to unite. And see, this is what Paul is talking about. Living by the flesh is, is living a self-centered life that causes harm to the self and to others, which is why in the text he says that people who live by the flesh will not inherit the kingdom of God. They can't inherit the kingdom because in God's put-together kingdom, people are not harmed. People flourish. They flourish in the life that they were made for. And the point is this. Freedom isn't living however we want. That's not true freedom. Freedom isn't living however you want. Rather, get this, mark this, it's the third thing. Rather, true freedom is living into God's design. The greatest degree of freedom a person can experience comes in doing what God has designed us to do. It's true freedom. Author Charles Hummel, he, he illustrates this point by telling a story about a fish. I don't know if you've heard this one or not. But one morning, he, he, he woke up to a blood-curdling scream coming from one of his daughters. And she was screaming, a fish has leapt out of the tank. <laughs> and so Charles gets up and he runs to see what's going on. And there on the ground, flopping and wriggling, convulsing is a fish that had jumped out of their fish tank at the bottom of the stairs. And in a moment, his daughter was collecting herself. She, she grabs the slippery little sucker and throws him back into the water. <laughs> and after a moment of bated breath, pardon the pun, Think about it. <laughs> After a moment of bated breath, the fish was revived and it began to swim again. <laughs> well, sometime later, the same thing must have happened, but this time there was no one there to put the fish back in the tank. They arrived home and found this poor fish dead on the floor. And after a while, Hummel reflected on the nature of our true freedom as he thought about this scene. You see, the fish 
had leapt from the restraints of the tank, and by some accounts, the fish was finally free of its constraints. But make no mistake, that kind of freedom resulted in death. The fish died because that freedom was contrary to the fish's design. It wasn't made for that. And the same is true when it comes to living as God's free people in the world. Freedom's not about doing whatever we please. It's about doing what God has designed us to do. It's about living into his purposes, his intent, his dream for us. That's freedom. It's about living into the life God had in mind when he fashioned us into being. Jesus says as much. In John chapter 8, Jesus says, he says it this way. He says, if you hold to my teachings, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Jesus is saying that, that if, if, you, if you hold to my teachings, if you live the way that I live, if, if you live the way I've shown you and taught you to live, then you will be truly free. And he, here's the reality. If you live God's way, life works. <laughs> but if we don't live God's way, life doesn't work. Freedom is living into God's design for you. And so the obvious question that arises is, what is God's design for our lives? <laughs> what is it? What does living as God's free people actually look like in the world? <laughs> you ready? Verse 13 and 14. Don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's the fourth thing. True freedom takes the form of a loving servant. Or as the NRSV translation puts it, do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but through love become enslaved to one another. I can't think of a more difficult life to live <laughs> than the vision God has for our lives. I can't think of a more beautiful life to live than the life God has dreamed for our lives. <laughs> our world needs it. Your family needs it. Your workplace needs it. The streets of Kelowna need it. Our city needs it. Here's the crux of the matter of our Christian freedom. True freedom is not exercising our authority to do whatever we want. True freedom is exercising our authority to deny what we want in service of another person. I mean, this is both the gospel of Jesus and the way of Jesus, isn't it? Jesus was in very nature God. 
But he didn't consider his status as God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, Jesus, the Son of God, made himself nothing, taking on the form of an obedient servant who served humanity by taking the sins of our flesh upon himself so that we might be forgiven and what? Freed. This is the gospel of Jesus. And it is the way of Jesus. It's the prototype of our Christian freedom. True freedom takes the form of a loving servant. This is God's design for your life. To be bearers of his image in the world. To be a light reflecting his character to the people around you. True freedom takes the form of a loving servant, which means, by the way, and this is an aside, it means that we shouldn't confuse our civic freedoms with our Christian freedom, right? Civic freedoms focus on what a person is entitled to in a free country. But Christian freedom, it puts the love of another ahead of personal entitlements. Do I need to say that again? <laughs> Civic freedoms focus on what a person is entitled to in a free country. But Christian freedom, it puts the love of another person ahead of our personal entitlements. Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence but through love become enslaved to one another. Now, I want to take a moment and just think of the context into which Paul is writing these words. We live in our own context, but, but think of the context that Paul is writing these words. Verse 15 tells us a bit of what is going on, right? He says, if you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. The church he's writing into was going through something. They were biting and devouring each other. There was division. There was conflict. There was disagreement. I can imagine that there were people who, who didn't like each other very much in that context. I mean, that happens in life, doesn't it? It happens in our churches. It happens in our homes. It happens in our schools. It happens in the offices that you work in. It happens on social media. And this is precisely where we are called to follow the way of Jesus. In all of these places, to use the freedom we have in Christ for the loving and blessing of the world he came to save. You're free to do it. But not only free to do it, God is empowering you. He wants us to translate the grace we have received through Christ into a grace that extends toward others, lest we all be devoured. Here's the thing. It's easy to lovingly serve the people that we like or the people we admire, <laughs> But it takes an act of God to do that to people that we disagree with. 
that we have conflict with. Only God can do something like that. Which brings me to the fifth and final thing about living into our Christian freedom. All of this that I've said, it's utterly impossible without the empowerment of God's Holy Spirit at work in you. It's impossible. The true freedom that God intends for us is only possible through the Spirit's work in the life of someone who has said yes to Jesus. It's not that there isn't acts of kindness in our world outside of that. Of course there are. But the fullness of freedom, the fullness of living the way of Jesus, it comes through empowerment of the Holy Spirit. In other words, it's God's own Spirit who empowers us to live the life He designed us for. It's God's own Spirit who transforms selfish acts of the flesh into self-sacrificial acts of love. It's God's Spirit who does in us what the law never could do and does in us what we could never do ourselves. He animates a believer with his own life and character as they intentionally walk with him. Listen, verses 22 and 23. It says, But the fruit of the Spirit, what the Spirit grows in the life of of someone who follows Jesus... The fruit of the Spirit is love. And, 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 and can I just stop here? Love, not as we know it, because our, our concept of love in this world is therapeutic. It's somewhat self-serving. Our, our sense of love often is this, this feeling that we have of affection towards someone. That's not what this word means. This word means a, a love of choice, choosing to love someone irregardless of our feeling toward them. And there's a difference. The fruit that the Spirit of God grows in a person is love, joy, peace, forbearance. Or some of you really want me to say patience. I know. You learned it, and it's patience. (laughs) Up there, yeah. Nice work, Michael. Is that you? I see you. (laughs) Yeah, me too. But there's something about that word forbearance. I mean, I lose my patience with my kids. I shouldn't, but I do. But I have forbearance with my kids. I will never leave them. I'll never forsake them. So help me God, right? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It is the Spirit of God who produces the fruit of God in the life of a person who has given their yes to Jesus. That is, of course, if we are submitted to following His voice in our life. And so that's why Paul says, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. He's saying that when it comes to walking in our Christian freedom, the Spirit is sufficient to do all that is necessary. This is the fifth thing. True freedom comes through the Holy Spirit. When we walk with the Spirit, The Spirit transforms us and empowers us to be His people in the world. 
Here's the reality as I pull some threads together here. We can live by the law, trusting in empty religious rituals and rules to earn God's favor, but that doesn't work. Or we could live by the flesh, trusting in our own power and desires to live a life that fulfills and is worthy of God, but that doesn't work either. Or we can live by the Spirit, empowered by God's own breath to be all that He has designed us to be. It's the only way to truly live. It's the only life of freedom. And so the question becomes, what might that look like in your life today? To walk by the Spirit, to keep in step with the Spirit, to walk in freedom, keeping in mind that walking happens one step at a time. Maybe this is something that we can really learn from our friends who have battled addictions, that it's one moment at a time. Walking with God is like that, one moment at a time, one step at a time. When we walk with God, the Spirit of God, I'm not talking about being perfect. To walk with the Spirit means we are participating with the perfect one who works to perfect us, which happens one step at a time. So what does it look like for you to walk? Not in the power of your own flesh, but in the power of God's personal presence at work within you. What step does he want you to take? The Spirit of God is sufficient to give you all that you need. His love, His joy, His peace, His forbearance, His patience, His kindness, His goodness, His gentleness, His self-control. The Spirit of God is sufficient. And he's inviting you to walk with him. So take a step. Let's pray. Jesus, you lead us into true freedom. You lead us in the freedom to have our needs met by you (laughs) so that we can pour ourselves out to others. And so, Jesus, like I prayed at the beginning, I I don't know what you have to say to your people this morning. (laughs) Holy Spirit, I pray in this moment that you would be speaking words afresh to your people. Holy Spirit, we want to keep in step with you. We want to walk with you, but so often we don't know how. And so, Holy Spirit, I just want to create space for you right now to speak to the hearts and minds of your people. So, Lord, as we receive the grace of your word, as we receive your life-giving words into our life through your Holy Spirit, 
I pray, Jesus, this morning for fruit. Holy Spirit, bring your love and your joy and all the fruit that you want to bear in our life. We pray, Lord Jesus, that, uh, that there would be a harvest for your glory and for the saving of the city. We pray.